Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler. Over the past 10 years, I've started a nonprofit, Let My People Go, that helps people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've met a lot of friends who are on a similar journey, each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other with the more adversity that we face. Today, I want to talk about our natural unwillingness to slow down. We've all been there. Whether we want to strive for excellence or we can't help ourselves, many of us struggle with the need or compulsion to put in maximum effort all of the time. And as you know, this has a way of humbling us. Rochelle had been working 80 hours a week for nine years. She allowed herself to prioritize her work over everything else. She was worn out. Her board chair pulls her aside and said, You gave me a five-year plan and accomplished it in five months. Why do you feel you have to work so hard? Rochelle is the founder and president of Scarlet Hope, a not-for-profit reaching out to exploited and trafficked people with the love of Christ. And she is the author of Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Darkest of Places. Rochelle, thanks for taking a break from your book tour to join me. Raleigh, it's a pleasure to be here and to be talking with you today. So you are basically called to the carpet. What did you do? How did you react in that moment? I know how I would have wanted to react, but how did you react? You know, my there, there were two things at play here when my board chair came to me with this like, why are you running so hard uh, at this ministry? Why are you working so hard, ignoring your own health and different things? My first reaction was like, you don't know me. You don't know what's at stake if I stop. Exactly. And then sec- I get that. Yeah, right? Like, but then the second thing was deep in my mind and my soul, I was like, he's right. Why am I? And I've got to discover what is causing me to do this and not want to stop? And, um, you know, my board chair at the time, Bryce Buller, he was so patient with me and even in leading the board that they really let me come to my own conclusion of taking a sabbatical that I needed rest. And I, I'll never forget when I finally said, yeah, I think I need to take a break. I think that'd be really good. And he said, I'll never forget. They looked at me and they were like, we've been waiting for you to say that. Like, (laughs) Waiting for me to come up with that idea, you know? That's amazing because they weren't going to push that on you. They let you get to that point. And that's great leadership. That's what you want on a board. You want someone who's pacing with you and says, okay, we all see this, but she has to see this. And so what did you do? What did you do on your sabbatical? So I took four months. It was actually over the holidays. So it worked out to be four months. It it technically maybe should have been around three, but I had a coach that coached me through my sabbatical and we did three full months of rest, reflect, and re-entry. And what those things meant for me were the rest part was I actually, uh, with my husband and my, at that time, three-year-old child, we went and lived in California um, for a month. And then we went and lived in Florida for a month, all by gracious uh, supporters that gave us their homes to live in and just rest. 
it was the hardest thing I have ever done. But one of the things I did on my sabbatical was I completely shut down my phone and my communication. Zero. I didn't talk to anyone but my husband and my family, my immediate family. So that was really, really hard. Why was why was this so difficult, you think? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I had been living nine years of being connected, being needed, um, seeing great advancements in the kingdom and with the women that we were, I was called to and we were serving. But I was so far, like I was so connected. I had not taken a pause to do much of anything. And silence and solitude felt like, oh, it felt really, really scary to me. So to to be separated from everything I knew for nine years and had been doing was an extremely difficult thing to do in the beginning. And so as you're describing this, the word that comes to my mind is identity. Do you think your identity as a nonprofit leader and someone who basically, you started the nonprofit, you're a founder. As a founder of an organization myself, I get it. (laughs) Do you think that played into it that I have to do this? Absolutely. I mean, I feel and I felt solely responsible for the calling that God had put on my life, but also for the individuals that we were serving. And I, I don't think you can be a founder without feeling that responsibility, but it can easily become your identity now. And it's subtle and you can think you're separating yourself enough from that. But when I pulled away and took three months off of uh, uh, just really three months on sabbatical, that's when I started seeing like, I had forgotten that God's love was for me. I had forgotten that the message of the gospel was for me. Like I had forgotten all of these things because I was so busy giving that to everybody else and, and, and had completely lost who I was and who God had called me to be just a child of the King without Scarlet Hope or without, you know, all of the things that I do for God. And um, it it quickly can become your identity if we're not careful. Definitely did mine. And that's one thing I love about your book. Your book hits at that heart issue of what is your identity and who do you believe yourself to be? And how can you move forward from that place rather than trying hard to win people's approval or trying hard to do this. It's saying, you know, as you are obedient to God's call on your life, he can lead you into some of the darkest places, but his light will be with you. One thing that I noticed was you had mentioned not only rest, but you'd also mentioned reflection and reentry. Tell me about some of the things that you reflected on as you looked at the last nine years. Yeah. Um, so I was on this, uh, this is, this is a story in my book, but I was on this mountain called Torrey Pines in California. And I had really spent a good amount of time thinking about how did I get here? How did I get to this place where I was even needing a break? First of all, where I was feeling so overwhelmed. Um, just, I mean, 
Raleigh, to be really candid about some of this reflection, you know, I had had uh, significant health stuff going on for those nine years. And a lot of it, I would just chalk up to this is spiritual warfare. The enemy's not going to win. I'm going to keep going. I remember having surgery and that night I went on outreach, like never taking a break to just rest. And so as I'm reflecting on this, I'm hiking up this mountain uh, called Torrey Pines. And I remember looking down at a cactus. This is, it's going to sound crazy, but God can like use so, he can use his creation to speak to us, right? And so I'm looking down and I see this cactus that had like the longest quills. And I remember the sense of the Holy Spirit saying to me, my thorns were for you. And I reflected in that exact moment that I had forgotten that the very gospel I was sharing with other people, I'd forgotten that for myself. And you can, the the reflection just started making my, it opened my eyes to really remember my first love, which is, you know, Jesus um, and what he, you know, did for me on the cross. And so Man, I could go on and on about all the things I reflected on and why I did what I did and how I got where I was. And so when you are remembering what Christ has done for you, what were some of the things that, did you see anything in your life that was in conflict with that message? Yeah. So one of the things that I think ministry, especially, uh, you know, like you and I do to vulnerable populations of people is we see such a great need on a regular basis. So what was in conflict was that I was the one that he, you know, was being sent for this time to these people to, you know, you could say rescue or whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. And the conflict was, is that Jesus didn't need me. (laughs) Jesus chose to use me in this way, but that I could also rest in the work that he was working, no matter if I was or not, you know, and that's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow when you see very, very hurt, traumatized, poor people on a regular basis that have significant um, stories of, you know, pain and suffering. And so the, yeah, the conflict was just that in the midst of trying to help hurting people, I was ultimately hurting myself. I've heard many counselors say things to the point of, you can't give what you don't have, or how are you going to care for those who live in the margins when your life doesn't have any? And so as we're kind of honestly talking about resilience, how did you start building resilience as you looked towards reentry? Yes. So that's a great point. I often say you can't, you cannot pour out from empty. Like if your cup is empty, you're probably pouring out what other people really don't even want, right? (laughs) To be honest. But uh, as I re- that third month, and it really for me it was three and four, I began to work with a coach on what I wanted my life to now look like. How did I want to put uh, proper boundaries around my time? And not, not because it was to be strict, 
but it was to to say I want to be in ministry. I feel called for the for my whole life to these people. How can I do that until I'm 80 or like 90 years old? Not just a short-term vision. I'm going to do this for 10, 15 years. I've already been in this for 15 years and I I intend to go another 15, 25, 30, however long I can. But you have to, I had to really, really nail down what did that look like for me. And so a couple of things that I do now that I didn't before. Silence and solitude is an absolute must regularly. And when I say regularly, like I write it into my yearly annual plan of when and when and where I'm going to spend silence and solitude with the Lord. A book that I follow or that I I love is um, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And it's by Ruth Haley Barton. And she is just, she gives you a map on how to, to spend your life in ministry, in your calling, but not burn out. And so Silence and Solitude, I get away on a retreat by myself for uh, annual retreat. That's always amazing. There's just so many practices I put in place now that are really, really helping me stay healthy in the ministry. You mentioned silence and solitude. How do you how do you get started there? You know, and I ask because that's something that I've implemented into my life recently. Because, like you, you know, I pushed myself so hard to the point where a friend who was a counselor came along and said, "Hey, man, you're doing great things, and I'd love to see you do them 20 years from now, and not just two. And it really stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, I felt seen, but not in the way I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be seen for all the great things I was doing because it had become my identity. I didn't want to be seen for like the true self, like what I was. I want yeah. to be seen for like this false self that it wasn't like a bad false self. It wasn't like, but it was like this, this side of me that I wanted to put out there, but I was, I was, I was literally killing myself. I ended up with health issues that, you know, really plagued me because of it, because I was pushing myself too hard. But um, learning this art of solitude has been fascinating for me. How would you tell people who are just pushing it? They're working hard to get things done. They have a lot of weight on them. They, they have a lot of burdens on their shoulders. There's people depending on them. How would you encourage them to start leaning into silence and solitude? Well, one of the things that I think silence and solitude do is, and why we need to understand that we we need this is is a our souls were created for God, and when all of the noises going on around us and all of our, the the needs and the demands and and all of this stuff is going on, it's very hard to hear. God and to hear him speak to to us for us. And um and so how I started was the very first thing I actually did in this that that really catapulted my silence and solitude discipline was I actually went away for 3 days 
Um, I have an amazing husband who supports me in all this, by the way, because I could not do it without him. But I went away for three days. He encouraged me to do it. I went to the mountains and I spent three days in pure silence and solitude. I had never done anything like this in my life. I came back a completely changed human being. I had never experienced God in this way. And, and he shows up. When we are seeking him, we will find him. So that was my first experience. And that's my annual retreat that I do um, where I go somewhere with the Lord for at least three days. Every week in the morning, I pick a morning and I just literally sit in the presence of God. I don't read. I don't talk. I just sit in silence and solitude and spend time with Him. And then on a monthly basis, I try to get out in nature. That is one of the, I mean, everybody's different, but that's one of the things for me where I feel like I experience God's voice the most is in the silence of His of His beautiful creation. And so getting somewhere where you can truly just sit. And when I say silence and solitude, I really mean that. Like, and I don't know what your practice is, Raleigh, but like not talking. Like we talk at God a lot. (laughs) We rarely sit and just listen and wait. And we're impatient beings and I'm an impatient being. And so I want to hear now. But the reality is, is that the the Lord will speak to us when we're ready and He only knows that. And so if we prepare our hearts through silence and solitude, he shows up. And you're arguing for a contemplative spirituality, you know, not something where if I, if I do this, then God will do that. It's more of a, I want to meet him. I want to be in his presence. I've been reading a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day by Pete Scazzaro. And it's a 40-day devotional. You, it's basically the daily office. So if you're Anglican out there, it's the daily office. You'll enjoy it. It's, it's very fascinating. It's very, it draws you into that contemplative relationship. But one thing he does with every entry, he basically says, two minutes of silence on either side. Just sit there in silence. Um, and he gives you some things that you could say. You know, he says, you could say, here I am, Lord speak. Your servant is listening, you know, like from what we, we have in the Old Testament with Samuel or, or just something simple like, I'm listening, I'm here. And his whole goal is to help you build up that muscle to not keep shifting or not to just be like, be like a kid who runs into his parents' bedroom and says, mom, 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 and, you know, not really self-aware of all the other things that are happening. The whole point, what I'm learning about silence is it slows me down enough to be like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. Am I present in this moment? Am I focused? And these are very short devotionals, but I'm finding they're very powerful. And so as you go and you spend three days, and I love how you said And it wasn't even about talking. I just sat there and I was listening and how that transformed you. Because that tells me that it was God's work that was transforming you, you, not you trying to fix yourself. Because for many of us who are founders, we think, oh, well, you know, if we lose a staff person, you know, we grieve it. But then we're also like, okay, I got to get a staff person. I got to figure this out. 
or if a program starts, starts to falter, I got to fix this. Or if our board calls us and says, hey, you know, I noticed this and, you know, we need to work on this. Okay. You know, you're always in fix-it mode. You're, but, but there's something beautiful about realizing that the world is not yours to save. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's right. Right there is where it really is where the crux is the matter is like we live in a in a paradox a little bit where we are waiting on the Lord's return that you know that's what this week actually is all about right like we're the birth of Jesus but we're anxiously waiting on the Lord's return now in the midst we know he comes he wins the war he he he's already defeated sin and death but we see so much brokenness, so much pain and and right now, here and now. And and I think we can get confused with Lord, where are you? And we have to be the ones to save and rescue and redeem all of that, right? But at this and we are called to justice. I mean, a hundred percent we're called to justice in people's lives. But at the same exact time, God's already won the war. He's already defeated sin and Satan. And so how do we live in this? And that's where I believe spending time with the Lord, you start to rest truly like soul rest in his presence and his work in the world, his justice and his mercy. And for me, it's been absolute life-changing since I've started these these disciplines um, out of just simply wanting to know more of who God is um, and wanting to be closer to him. I love this quote that Ruth Haley Barton says. It says, we are starved for quiet to hear the sound of sheer silence. That is the presence of God himself. I love that. Wow. No, that's incredible. Because for many of us, silence Silence is the scariest thing ever because it's in the silence that we hear our doubts. It's in the silence that we hear our fears. But there's something about it that um, that God's also there. I think that's so beautiful. And so as we are learning the art of compassion through the things that we're experiencing, the adversity of life, what are a couple of things that you could give us that you've learned along your journey that, that we could think on as we kind of close out this podcast? One, I think, one, one thing I could give you is that you can never, no matter how hard you work, no matter how many hours in the day you, you slave away, <laughs> no matter how passionate you are, Raleigh, no matter how... Um, compassionate you are that one that the Lord first and foremost wants to remind you that you are his first. You are not the world and you are not the ministries and, and all this, that we are children of the King. That's number one. And then number two would be that he so desperately desires to spend time with, with us and I, I just truly believe that. And I can say that now 
from six years of, and that's not very long, but six years of practicing these things, he wants to spend time with us. And so it's just like any other relationship that we value and that we admire and that we desire. When we get to spend time with someone that we love, we feel more connected, more solid, more uh, less burned out, more life is infused in us to do what God had, what God has called us to do. And so I just encourage you, if you're listening, anyone to spend time with God, spend time with Him, and, um, and make sure that's a first priority in your life. I don't know. There's so many things. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I think along the way, God has put around my life, and, and it's pretty evident through the book, Outrageous Obedience, that God has put around so many beautiful, amazing people to walk alongside me because we are not called to do this alone. And so if somebody listening to this is doing ministry alone, I encourage you to invite people in to not walk this road alone because we were not meant for that. Jesus did not walk it alone and neither should we. And honestly, to summarize our conversation, you know, if we want to slow down, we got to build, build a new way, a new path which starts with self-awareness. You came to a point where you needed a sabbatical and you realized that you needed one. But like you just said, you didn't do it alone. You had the support of friends, your husband, your board, and they all came alongside of you so that you could take four months and really just get down to what was really in play. And then it's there where you really focused on rest and reflection and re-entry. You didn't just sit there and binge watch something on Netflix. You know, you focused on recharging, but you also focused on reevaluating what you were, what you had done and what you wanted to do in the future. And ultimately, we landed the plane with this focus on silence and solitude, which I think is such a beautiful note to end on because rather than saying, here's five steps to fix your problems, you're saying, actually, no, just slow down and, and stop talking. Just zip it and listen because God's speaking and he wants to speak to you and he wants to spend time with you because you are his first. And so, Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you want bonus episodes as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will also get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper into these conversations. Also, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.